Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 on your AM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app so that you could have access to all of our station's content. And please be sure to follow Joe and I, uh, not only on uh, Facebook and YouTube, we're now on Rumble and Gab and a host of other sites. Uh, Make sure you like, subscribe, share, hit the little bell, do all that fun stuff. And today we are very pleased and honored to be joined by Adam Bly. And uh, Adam has a new book out that we want to talk about, The Catholic Guide to Miracles, Separating the Authentic from the Counterfeit. Very important topic. Uh, For those of you who are not familiar with Adam, just to let you know, Adam Bly, a layman, is a paratus. Now, here's a word you don't hear that often, Joe Resinello. I didn't know what that was. Which is a church uh, decreed expert in religious demonology and exorcism for the Diocese of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He has also served as an expert in these areas in training priests, deacons, and laity in many other dioceses. He's also an ex- auxiliary member of the International Association of Exorcists, a Vatican-recognized private association of the Christian faithful based in Rome. Over 15 years of working and training in the exorcism ministry, Adam has witnessed or experienced a number of miracles, some of which he's been appointed to investigate by the church. He also works in the tribunal of the Pittsburgh Diocese and is pursuing a canon law degree. Adam Bly, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Excellent. Adam, we always begin with a prayer because all good things start with prayer in the name of the Father, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary. Never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly to you, O Virgin of Virgins, our Mother. To you we come before you, we stand sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise that our petitions be in your clemency here and answer us. Amen. Saint Dominic. Pray for us. Pray, pray for us. us. Holy Spirit. Amen. So Adam, let's get right in uh, right into it. Um, I think it's an important question to address. How are miracles validated by the church and why should we believe in them? Well, um, miracles are validated generally through two means. Uh, one is studying and watching them for a very long period of time until whatever the the phenomenon has ended. And then secondly, when it comes to healings, it's validated through outside experts. So the church doesn't just say, well, somebody said this happened and therefore it must have happened. Uh, The church looks for an outside objective analysis of that. And so when it comes to healings, that's kind of a special case where you can go to a licensed doctor of whatever specialty and just ask them to objectively medically say, was this person healed? Was it instantaneous? Was it lasting? Was it complete? Um, and and so there's, there is that rigorous kind of critical approach uh, because many people think things have happened or, or they want them to have happened, but there's a big difference between that and what constitutes a, a miraculous healing. In the case of, of other phenomenon, uh, sometimes like with a visionary, you really can't go to an outside expert and said, well, doctor, can you tell us for sure whether Mary's appearing to this person? The doctor has no way to prove that you know, for themselves to come to a moral certainty. And so you can't necessarily rely on an outside expert. So in those cases, you have to let it run its course completely, which is why, you know, with, for instance, with Medjugorje, it's, it's still going on. And so it hasn't run its course completely because the church wants to look at the phenomenon from beginning to end and look at the fruits of it and analyze every step of the way before making, you know, a statement on it. Um, so basically, when it comes to the medical stuff, those are easier because they're concrete. And when it comes to the others, it's more of a, a looking at the whole picture. 
And, and frankly, I think that's a very like prudent way to, to approach it. Cause I mean, the church is going to make a declaration that's going to be lasting from set for centuries. <laughs> so they can't just jump into a decision. Right. Talk a little bit about the fruits of something. Because you touched on that. I think that's a very valid um, validation in anything in life. As Christ has said, you tell, you know, a tree by the fruit it bears. Talk about right. that a little bit. Right. So so if we stick with visionaries, because that's kind of an easy one we can all we can all picture. So so here's let's, you know, imagine a person who says, well, you know, Jesus is appearing to me and he's telling me uh, this message that you're you need to hear. Well, that, that's a pretty big you know, bold statement. And what if that message involves, I don't know, something apocalyptic and scary, you know, which a lot of uh, in our social media right now, people, because social media leans towards the extreme to get attention, uh, say that person says, well, Jesus says the world's going to end in four years. You know, they're, they're, and this has happened over and over in the last 2000 years where somebody says the end of the world is coming uh, and I know it through whatever means. Okay, so that person makes that claim. Well, do you just say, okay, well, they must be right. They're on Facebook, so the world must be ending in four years. No. And then you, you look at the fruits of that over time. You say like, well, okay, number one, that's really unlikely that they're genuinely uh, Jesus is appearing to anybody because we know it's rare. We know it could happen but it's rare. And then how do you then discriminate that message? And so the fruits might be negative, where, as we've seen over and over and over, a small little click of people detaches from the church and says, well, our leader with their special information, their special message has the new teaching and it's coming directly from God. And so we cannot question it, nor can you, we have the answer and everybody else doesn't. And, and these little clicks spin off um, and they generally have some heresy, some teaching in them that goes against scripture or the church, but they say, but that's okay because this is the new information from God. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, and then the fruit with generally all the time with these groups, uh, they spin off from the church. They're eventually, you know, declared by the local bishop to be in error, uh, but they often will hold to this charismatic leader who claims to have special access to God. And then inevitably they become more and more apocalyptic and it be gets about predictions of the end of the world and we're the only group that's going to be saved. And, and we've seen this play out many times. And so the fruits of that are division, fear, uh, extreme emotion and separating from the church and then going down the road of disrupting your life. Like, you know, we've seen this um, even in, in our lifetimes, we've seen this play out where it's like, okay, the world's ending. And so I'll sell all my goods and, you know, disrupt my family's security to wander the world and tell everybody the world's going to end because it doesn't matter uh, that I you know, keep anything and, and keep security going for my family, et cetera, et cetera. So basically when there's division, when there's fear, disruption, those are bad fruits. Mm. Adam, let's, let's, uh, you're at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello, and we are in the breach because we're talking about the Catholic Guide to Miracles, separating the authentic from the counterfeit with its author, uh, Adam Bly. Adam, let me ask you this. Obviously, in the last 20 years, they're kind of waning a little bit now. Uh, but the new atheists are, are awfully fond of, uh, of citing David Hume, who said there's no such thing as miracles. I'd love for you to, a two-part question real quick. In a nutshell, define for our audience at the front line what, what a, a exactly a miracle is. And the other is, you make an interesting claim in the book that, uh, that we, I want you to elaborate on. You state that science, science, and modern medicine should increase our belief in miracles. So a uh, two-part question. I'd love for you to talk about that. Right. So if we want to define a miracle, the, the simplest, most basic definition would be something only God can do. But that's not really satisfying generally to most people. So we want to elaborate on that. And then we can go back to Thomas Aquinas and say, okay, his, his understanding of miracles is that they're in three tiers. The first here is when God does something that nature cannot do. 
Okay, so for instance, you think of Fatima that we've all heard about in the sun dancing in the sky in front of tens of thousands of people, not just shimmering, but actually dancing and looking like it's going to crash to the earth. And even atheist reporters are there and, you know, saw this happen. So that's something nature can't do. Um, then the second tier is when God does something nature does, but in a different order. So when somebody, as we've seen, you know, a number of times in scripture, uh, if somebody were to die like Lazarus, in nature, we go from physical life to physical death inevitably, right? We're all going to die. Hmm. Now, if you go in the opposite direction, if you go from death to life, it's a natural process, but in the opposite order that doesn't happen in nature. And so uh, being raised from the dead is then a miracle, something only God can do. And then the third tier, the, the least kind of dramatic, if you want to think of it that way, is when God does something nature does, but much faster. And these are, these are the healings that we hear about so much. So we've all known somebody or heard of somebody. They had a sick child or a sick loved one in the hospital. They're on death's door. The doctors can't do anymore. The cancer can't be stopped. And a lot of people pray. Uh, and then suddenly they're they're healthy, right? They're, you know, I know I have priest friends that have gone through this with different maladies, not necessarily cancer, but other problems where the person's literally on death's door. They pray with them, they anoint them, they use some first class relics. Two days later, they're up and walking and, and the hospital was, was expecting them to go. So we might heal, say, from a fever or an illness over days or maybe a week or so. But when God does something, it's instantaneous. And so uh, that healing, that person in the hospital might have recovered from that probably over time, given that how ravaged their body is in, in a lot of these cases when you're close to death. But when God does it, it's very fast. It's essentially instantaneous. And that's one of the criteria the church has for, for healings that are used to validate a saint. Mm -hmm. It has to be instantaneous and complete. It can't be, oh, I feel a little better, so it must have been the saint that, that interceded for me. That must have been God. That's not enough. It has to be a complete healing, has to be instant and lasting. And then the doctor has to say, we don't have an explanation for this. Okay. Okay. Thank you for that. Thank you for that clarification. So, and again, so how is, uh, how is science and modern medicine, why should they increase our belief in miracles? Well, as we learn more and more about, about medicine and as our scientific knowledge increases, we keep pushing the boundary back of what is declared miraculous, but at the same time, and, and that's because we, we understand more about the body and more about medicine and healing, and so we can explain more cases than we could say 200, 400 years ago, but that makes the cases that still happen even more striking. And so uh, when it comes to, to miracles of healing, and, and there's a you know, I picked a number in the book that were used to validate saints because they've been under that rigorous scrutiny that the church goes through with the outside experts. Um, when we see these cases, though they're rare, uh, at the level of validating a saint, that's not to say God isn't healing people all the time, but they're not scrutinized because that investment of time and money to scrutinize them isn't done because it's, from the church's perspective, it's not as critical because it's not about validating a saint. We just thank God and praise God and move on. Um, the miracles of healings I try to outline in the book give those medical details as much as the church has released them because, of course, people's medical information is confidential, but these people generally or basically always have agreed to have certain information released to the public. Um, we can look at those and say, okay, even given our extensive medical knowledge and skills, this couldn't be addressed. And because it was studied with so many medical tests, it's not just saying, well, the person was laying in bed and feverish and sweating. We, we knew something serious was going on and then they were better. Now we can say we know exactly what was going on you know, there's a couple examples in the book where through medical testing that's modern, we can say, okay, this part of the brain ruptured, this person we know because we know about how the brain works should be paralyzed for life, that part of the brain tissue is dead, uh, there's no way that can happen. And so in that sense, when we see miracles, they're even stronger now than in the past. 
Thank you. Thank, thank you for that clarification. Adam Bly is joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Resinello, talking about his new book, The Catholic Guide to Miracles, separating, <clears throat> excuse me, separating the authentic from the counterfeit. Adam, you just talked a little bit about briefly um, some of the, uh, or you alluded to it rather, the miracles that you noted in the book, you know, modern day occurrences of the stigmata, heavenly near-death experiences, angelic apparitions. People love to hear things like that because I believe man believes what he sees. And I think it's important right. for people to know that miracles still happen and have happened throughout the centuries. Could you share with us and our listeners some of those uh, miracles that you note in your book? Because frankly, I think it will draw people to the book itself. Well, you know, one class of miracles that I think is is particularly interesting, both for, for Catholics and non-Catholic Christians, are the Eucharistic miracles. And the reason that they're so interesting, I think, uh, is because they're very physical. You can see them with your own eyes. Uh, they are also, especially in the modern world, turned over to medical outside experts uh, for analysis, and usually without telling them where the tissue sample came from, so they're not biased in what they're looking at. The Eucharistic miracles are when the host, the consecrated host, that as Catholics we believe is body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus in a veiled form, so it still looks like unleavened bread, but we have a belief and an understanding that it's transformed into Jesus. And there's been down through through the centuries many Eucharistic miracles where that bread becomes literal tissue, uh, human tissue and blood. Um, and when it's analyzed, it consistently comes back from the medical experts as being cardiac tissue, heart. Uh, not only is that concrete and turned over to a doctor, but then it's generally put on display for people to come and see for themselves once the church has moral certainty that that's really what happened. And they make absolutely sure there's no way that that was faked, that somebody swapped in a piece of tissue, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Once the local bishop has moral certainty that that definitely happened, uh, it's then available for everyone to see, read about, visit those churches where these are sometimes on display all the time, sometimes on display part of the time, because one of the interesting things about them is they don't seem to degrade over time and mm. go and go away. Uh, like normal human tissue sample would, would dry up and, and decay and eventually turn to dust. Um, now, some of these are recent in, in our time, only decades old, but even after decades, tissue that isn't in a living body will decay. So, the miracles that we still see today, they're powerful and important. Uh, and I think the Eucharistic miracles for the Catholic are important right now, because as we know, you know, we've heard about so many people don't believe in the real presence anymore. Um, or maybe they just never were fully catechized about it growing up. You know, our current generation, uh, a lot of people weren't taught the faith in as complete a way as, as maybe they were a couple generations ago. I'm not talking about, you know, a Vatican II thing at all. I'm just saying we're less religious in the modern world than we were in the past. Um, so I think Eucharistic miracles are a way for God to say, no, I really am here. This is really, really important, and you need to pay attention to it. And that draws us to that union with Jesus in that sacrament, in the Mass, where he makes himself available to us in such a special way. And so it points to that summit, you know, of the Catholic Christian's life, which is, which is communion. You know, it's funny. Again, people believe what they see. You could take Fatima, 100,000 people, give or take, mm -hmm. a miracle documented mm -hmm. in secular newspapers. Right. People still don't believe. Right. Generis, uh, we, we live in New York City, the San Gennaro Feast. He's the patron saint of Naples. His blood turns to liquid. He died how many, 1700 years ago. Mm -hmm. A miracle, yet people still don't believe. Talk about that like phenomenon. It's, it's actually almost like it defies reason and logic. You know, you see something that should not happen and that should not happen. It's documented. Scientists, everyone talks about the science, the science, scientists validate it. And mm -hmm. still people don't believe that Christ rose from the dead. You see, this is something that defies my understanding. I, I'm interested in what you have to say or think about it. Well, 
I mean, that's an interesting question. And I think it goes back to human psychology in a sense. I mean, in, in the one sense, you would say it goes back to grace, right? So if God provides us the grace to understand something, to, to have that internal uh, certainty that something is the truth, you know, we, we, we would talk about it, the Holy Spirit inspiring our reading of the Bible, opening up scripture as we read it, to be inspired in our heart to know this is true and this is how it speaks to my life right at this moment with what I'm dealing with. There's that one level where it's grace ultimately that is needed for us to believe these things. But on the other hand, as you say, and, and as I'm trying to point out in the book, these miracles aren't just statements of this is how it works, you should believe it, you know, about the spiritual world. These are statements of the laws of physics seem to be broken in these cases, and it seems to be coming from God. You know, that's compelling whether you believe in the spiritual or not. But you think, go ahead. I'm sorry, Adam. But I think what you're pointing to also has a psychological dimension. And that's this. Um, if we believe that there's a God, if we accept that, okay, here's this unusual phenomenon, and that leads to the conclusion, there is a God, there is a spiritual world, that is a huge conclusion because that cascades into the consequences of that decision. If I say, okay, I'm really going to believe in God, I'm not just going to church because my family goes to church and it's kind of a social thing we do on Sunday and I vaguely believe in it. But if I actually really believe that there's a God in a spiritual world, what are the consequences? The consequences are I'm accountable to somebody, to God, and I'm going to be judged based on what I'm doing. And we don't like that idea. That's an uncomfortable idea for a lot of people because it brings to bear an external authority, an external uh, kind of yardstick that we're going to be measured by. And we don't like that idea. We don't like being told that we're good or bad. We don't like being judged. We all want to say, I think I'm a good person. Therefore, I'm going to heaven, right? That's, that's a rationalization that we all love to do. And we rationalize away our bad behavior and say, well, I'm basically a good person. So I, I'm going to go to heaven. I don't need to worry about church or learning about what God has said and how God wants us to live because I'm a good person. Mm -hmm. and, and, and if I accept that there is really a God and that he came in the flesh in the form of Jesus Christ, and he directly addressed us and said what the deal is, well, the implications are huge. I've got to change my life and I have to be humbled. And we don't like to be humbled as human beings. We like to imagine that we're God, right? That, which is Genesis. We like to imagine I'm a God of my own world that I create, you know, my own life that I build up around me. And the idea that we're, that we're humbled before the actual God is scary when I'm in that kind of ego based fantasy. Yeah, Adam, you might be secret. You 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 probably secretly are watching the front line with Joe and Joe because that's that's what that's one of the things we talk about all the time. This this lack of a willingness to bend the knee. Joe Joe Resinello always describes it as you know our lack of a willingness to bend the knee is ultimately the cause of our problems. And if you look at these things that you're talking about in your book, the Catholic Guide to Miracles, separating the authentic from the counterfeit. If you look at it as Joe said, with logic and reason, okay then it's going to have a consequence. It's right. going to have a consequence. But um, we have probably about, I don't know, five and a half or six minutes. We do want to talk about uh, those who do, those who mislead people, okay? Um, people want, many people want to see miracles. In fact, they they probably want to see miracles where miracles are not really happening or where they you have like these, these false healers um, out there. How does the church identify the, the counterfeit? You described them in the title as the counterfeit. How does the church identify those people? And what should people be on guard about when it comes to some of those people that would potentially mislead them? Well, yeah, the, the way the way I think is helpful to look at that is, uh, number one, and, and we're talking about people that essentially say, I've got God in my pocket and I control when God is active, right? And if you come pay attention to me and, and usually give me your money, then maybe I'll pull God out of my pocket and give you the favor of something that you want, right? And so this is obviously a really despicable um, 
manipulation because from a Christian perspective, God is God, and God chooses what God does. Uh, we don't walk around with God in our pocket and own him and tell him what to do. And these people essentially uh, draw us into a dependency on them. So you just mentioned bending the knee to God. Essentially, these people are saying, bend the knee to me. Mm. And so it again goes back to Genesis and the first temptation, which is, you know, not not you can be God yourself, but this other person can be a God. And so this person essentially says, okay, you're old, you're sick, you're dissatisfied with life, you feel beset upon, I've got the solution, just send me uh, 50% of everything that you have left, and I'll pray over this TV broadcast, and you'll get something in return. So uh, that turns the dependency in the relationship from one with God and God's providence in our life and, and a trusting relationship with God. And what does it do? It violates the first commandment. And so if the first commandment, you know, to, to love God with your whole heart, your whole mind and your whole soul, uh, depending on which of the versions of the commandments you look at in the scripture or not have any other gods before me, essentially is the same thing. And that is God's first right? You could boil it down to God is first. Well, now God isn't first. I've turned to making this person an idol because they're the ones, they're the gatekeeper that controls God's power and they can use it at will. And if, and if I pay them enough money, uh, they will then deign to give me God's favor. And so again, fruits are important. And then the shift from, uh, Christ through his mystical body that he established on earth to an individual, which is something the church guards against, by the way. The church guards against making a particular priest super special, right? A priest is a priest is a priest. The sacramental graces come from God. They're always active when he does the sacrament properly, form, matter, and intent. But it's not about the individual. And, and that's partly why they were so concerned with Padre Pio. He had these extraordinary things going on, and people started making him the center of their intention. And why they were going to Mass was about him as an individual versus about God. And that was a big part of why they then withdrew him from the world for a while, because it was becoming unbalanced. So the church guards against this cult of personality. That's really the way to sum it up. And when you see false faith healers or people that claim, I've got miracles in my pocket, make me the center of your life, that's a cult of personality, right? And so it's not about God anymore. It's about that individual. And so now you're violating the first commandment. You're telling God implicitly, I don't trust you. I'm not going to wait on you. I want what I want on my terms, and I can buy it over here. Sounds like a whole lot of pride to me. Exactly. It's pride for both for both people. Um, it's more obviously pride for the false faith healer, but it's also pride for the person seeking them in the sense that I can control God. Right. Um, and we have a just quickly in about a minute, Adam, uh, how many <clears throat> how have um, the miracles, you know, in your book, give proof of the apparitions of Our Lady that have taken place around the world? We have about 30 seconds to 50 seconds. Well, what are you asking? Um, Joe, what was the question? Well, basically about, you know, quickly, uh, apparitions with Our Lady. I mean, there's been a lot of miracles surrounding that. Uh, yeah. Just briefly speak to that. That would be great. Sure. So I, I think it's worth exploring, but you want to do it with discernment. There's been many, hun- many hundreds of apparitions of Mary purportedly through history, and there have been only some that the church has validated as true. They tend to come at big junctures in human history to give guidance from God who provides it through his mother, or sometimes they come to validate the dogma of the church and new understanding that the church has, for instance, the Immaculate Conception. The big thing about Marian apparitions is wait and watch because you want to wait until the phenomenon plays out and is studied carefully because there are many deceptive false versions of this or just people that want attention. But when they are real, they are beautiful mm-hmm. and they always, always, always point us back to Jesus. Adam Bly, where could people buy your book? Um, you could go to Sophia Press uh, or, of course, the, the typical places like Amazon. 
Excellent. Adam Bly, the author of The Catholic Guide to Miracles, Separating the Authentic from the Counterfeit. Thank you so much for coming on the front line with Joe and Joe. And thank you, dear brothers and sisters, for joining us here on the Veritas Catholic Network, bringing the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York metropolitan area at 1350 on your AM dial for all Veritas content. Please be down, sure to download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. And please follow Joe and I on social media, on Facebook, YouTube. We're now on Rumble, Gab, all over the place. Like, subscribe, share, hit the little bell, do all that fun stuff. And remember, until the next time, to go out and buy Adam's book. And remember that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, you know about our Veritas shows, right? All five? It starts every Sunday at 5 p.m. with The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Their guests include the biggest names in the Catholic world, and Joe and Joe talk to them from the perspective of the everyday Catholic. Every Wednesday at noon, you can catch Let Me Be Frank. This is your chance to hear Bishop Frank Caggiano talk about spirituality, church news, and fun stories from his Brooklyn childhood and his life. Thursday nights at 8 o'clock. That's when you can hear It's Not That Late with Liv Harrison. It's a late night show on Catholic Radio, and Liv mixes faith with humor, games, and dynamic interviews. There's a double dose of shows on Friday. First, at noon, it's Restless. It's four millennials talking about, well, life as millennials in today's crazy world. Yes, it's possible to be young and Catholic. Then, at 12.30 on Fridays, you can hear the focus on Veritas, where Peter Sonsky puts the focus on good works and the good people doing those works. Those are the five Veritas shows, and there's more on the way. Stay up to date at VeritasCatholic.com or on the mobile app. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area. And also be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. Also, follow Joe and I on social media, Facebook, YouTube, Gab, Rumble, you name it, we're probably there. Like, subscribe, share. Do all that fun stuff. And today, we are very pleased and honored to welcome back a friend of the show, Father Justin Sinante. And uh, we're going to be talking about, okay, we had spoken with to Adam Bly about miracles. And we want to talk to Father Sinante, uh, who's also very knowledgeable in this area about authentic miracles in the church. Uh, for those of you who do not know Father Sinante, he is a Carmelite priest and a friend of our show. And he resides at Transfiguration Priory in Tarrytown, New York. He's also the current school chaplain at Iona Prep in New Rochelle, New York. Father Justin Sinante, welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. It's great to be with you. Thank you. It's good to see you again. Good to see you. Father, uh, before we uh, start our conversation, could you uh, say a little prayer? Yes, of course. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, be with us. Guide and enlighten us in the ways of goodness and holiness. And Lord Jesus, we just come before you this day asking your blessings upon us, asking for the miraculous to take place in our daily lives. Help us to know that we are children of our Heavenly Father who loves us. And we call upon the powerful intercession of our Blessed Mother Mary this day and Saint Charbel, Blessed John Soroth, Carmelite priest, as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Oh, Holy Lord. Mary, Mother oh, of God, God, pray for us sinners, now and in the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Mount Carmel, pray, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, Thank good, you, Father. A good place to start, Father. I mean, clearly your charism as a Carmelite priest is focused on Our Lady. Um, in your view, which Marian miracles um, should lay Catholics pay particular attention to, and why would you say that for those particular miracles? Well, the one in particular I think of right away is the last miracle at Fatima. 
um, the October 13th when the miracle of the sun took place because thousands of people witnessed that um, even skeptics atheists people went there to disprove the children and the message of Fatima and they and I think there was something sometimes like the different numbers but 70 to 90,000 people witnessed this miracle and like you can't say that and people try to say on the internet oh it's mass hysteria and all this type of thing but you really can't say that you know um, and uh, and just in that vision alone it was basically um, giving the message of you know our lady came our lady of the rosary our lady of sorrows she came as lady of mount carmel which is very uh, specific i'll explain that in a moment saint joseph came with the child blessing the world so it really was a, a kind of a vision or the last vision of fatima was really kind of telling of the times we live in you know it's not a coincidence that we're in the year of saint joseph right now you know and and that i could connect that to that miracle of fatima when saint joseph blesses the world so before christ will come uh, St. Joseph will be raised up in the church as a, as kind of a, a figure to fight against the evil one. And I love that title of St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, right? But Our Lady Mount Carmel in particular, uh, Lucia, we know, became a Carmelite nun. Uh, but the, the tradition is or that the final battle of Armageddon is at the base of Mount Carmel. And so Mary is like the general uh, in the army that's going to uh, usher us in to fight this final battle against uh, evil and satan and that's why you know the devotion of the brown scapper is such a powerful devotion and that's what Mary, and that's what sister lucia said of fatima the two weapons that so to speak that kind of mary gives us is these two devotions of the rosary and the scapular so that's why she says she came as early the rosary you know again to pray the rosary every day for peace throughout the world the world will experience peace but also that the fact that she came at the last apparition as our lady of mount carmel uh, was to remind us the importance of wearing her brown scapular as her mantle of protection. So I think of it as a bulletproof vest is the scapular, and the rosary is like, say, our, our sword or our gun to fight against the enemy. You can only, when you talk about Our Lady of Fatima, the apparition of Fatima, the miracle of the sun, I'm not saying this as a biased Catholic, okay, even though I am a biased Catholic. I'm not, I'm not going to lie about that. But how anyone could look at the evidence from that apparition and say, Richard Dawkins called it a mass delusion, I think. Well, how does 70,000 people, not as you said, Father Sinante, who's joining Joe and Joe at the front line with Joe and Joe, not all of them were Catholic. Plenty of atheist journalists there, okay? And other skeptics who, like you said, they went there to go see the hoax, okay? Mm -hmm. Well, guess what, guys? The sun kind of looked like it was dancing around. And by the way, our knees were, were knee deep in mud. And after it was all over, the ground was dry, which is which is scientifically impossible to have happened. It's mm -hmm. amazing to me how people, if they just don't want to believe, they just won't believe, even with something as powerful as Fatima. Well, I think in St. Thomas Aquinas say that for those with faith, no explanation is necessary. For those without faith, no explanation is possible. So um, it really does come down to faith. And that's what miracles do. Miracles increase our faith. They, um, they like all the, all the miracles in the gospel uh, reminded us of, you know, that this is Christ. This is the son of God. If he could raise the dead, you know, if he could cleanse the leper, uh, he could give sight to the blind. Uh, this is the son of God. So we're going to pay attention to his word that he is I am who am, so to speak. So um, so that, that's what the importance of miracles is to remind us uh, that there, there is truth to faith and to the teaching of Christ and his church. Um, again, but then there's the freedom there. God will never force anyone to believe in him. He could give them the evidence. Uh, faith, our faith is very logical. It, it makes sense. It's truth. Um, it's, it's backed up by the supernatural uh, occurrences at times that we call miracles. But it all comes down to opening our hearts to that truth. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that's a person, Jesus Christ. You know, I hand it over to Joe Resinello, but one comment just along the lines, we mentioned it on the show a couple of weeks ago. It's interesting what you said about the Catholic faith being logical. Jordan Peterson recently is quoted as saying, it doesn't get any more sane than the Catholic Church. He didn't mm -hmm. say Christianity. He said it yeah. doesn't get any more sane than the Catholic Church. Well, I mean, I think a lot of times, because, I, I, you know, I've read a lot about the saints and um, 
to most most saints, it, it doesn't have to be as a as as a, a standard bearer, but most saints are canonized after two miracles. Many of them are medical miracles where a scientist or a medical doctor will say, there's no explanation as to why. I cannot justify why this happened. You had a tumor in your stomach a week it's ago gone. and it's gone. <laughs> and I'm a doctor and I can't explain it. I mean, anyone could read that. That's open to anybody who has a computer and Google, they could read it. But I want to circle back to what Joe was saying and what you said, Father, about Fatima. I think why people don't acknowledge that, and there's so much one can read about it, is because if they acknowledge that, they have to change. You see, mm -hmm. I think that's the root of it. Because like, it could be such a glaring thing. And I could talk about, you know, Damien of Molokai, someone had cancer, and they no longer had it. We could talk about John Paul II, where a nun had Parkinson's disease, fairly advanced. She prayed to him, it disappeared. My father passed away of Parkinson's disease. I'm fully aware of what that does to a human being. So my point is, it doesn't matter what the miracle is it has everything to do with the will talk about mm -hmm. that i mean because i'm sure i mean your business is conversion father mm -hmm. and i'm sure you encounter that with people the mm -hmm. resistance to those type of visual signs yeah of course uh there's the will but also um i think it's important we cannot downplay grace and that's why our Lady asked at Fatima that we pray and sacrifice for the conversion of poor sinners. Because she said, many souls are going to hell for one purpose only, that no one is sacrificing and praying for them. And now when the, when the children saw that vision of hell, uh, especially Jacinta was so touched by this that she made every sort of sacrifice and prayer. She did not want one soul to be lost. So there is that aspect of prayer and grace that is so important. Um, I want to share a story because I think this highlights this pretty well, especially working in high school. I don't know if, if I shared this with you in the past, uh, but it's just happened in the beginning of this year. I had a young uh, man um, who uh, he was a senior and uh, he was a kind of self-proclaimed atheist. Uh, he was baptized Catholic, made his sacraments, went through a poor CCD program, and he just didn't believe, you know? And um, and I, I don't know if he had a bad experience, I don't know the whole thing, but I, I was kind of blinded to it at first, so I kind of treated him like I would treat all the Catholic boys, so to speak, you know, like just talk about faith and stuff like that. But then I found out through his friends and, and through faculty members that he really gave uh, really like a, uh, arrogance about and, and uh, really a protest about the faith you know I even re reacted to one of the brothers in class uh, in a history class about the faith so I didn't really have that side of him because I would, would see him on a, a different side I, I didn't have him in class I just kind of talked to him in the hallways and, and that type of thing so I had a good rapport with him but and he was kind of open to me as a priest but wasn't spiritually open we didn't talk about faith it was kind of daily interactions I found out he was an atheist, and so I kind of kept that in the back of my head, but still was very friendly with him and, and uh, talking to him, joking with him in the hallways. And this one day I had this traveling image of Our Lady of Guadalupe going around. It's one of those um, kind of miraculous images, it's like three pilgrim images that go around. So I, I had it just a friend of mine called me, said, I have it for one day. Could, do you want to bring it to school? I said, yes, but bring it to school. I'll put it outside the chapel because it was a big image. And I, at least the boys could see it when they pass the chapel. At the end of the day, I'll make an announcement and try to get them to come and, and pay, you know, uh, devotion. So at the end of the day, the bell rings, kids are, are going about their business. And I'm standing in front of the chapel, literally pointing these kids at, come on, go say a prayer, go see Our Lady, you know, blah, blah, blah. And this boy, who was a baseball player, it was fall. It was fall ball. And he says to me, oh, Father, you know, I don't believe in that stuff. But then he said this. He said, but next time you talk to your God, you tell him if he's real, I want to know it. So I said, you got you, I will. So he was like challenging me. So that night I was in my cell praying the rosary and the scene kind of replayed in my head about the day and the kids praying in front of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And then that boy in particular who kind of was arrogant and said, you know, next time you talk to your God, you tell him. So I'm like, okay, God, <laughs> you know, blessed mother. Um, I'm praying for this boy, you know, he asked, he wants to know you in, in some deep sense, he had a, a, a yearning to know God, right? So he gave that challenge, it sounded arrogant, but in deep down inside, he, he, he was searching to know God. He wanted to know it. He didn't know him, but he asked me who supposedly knows him, uh, to tell him when I talked to him that 
talk to him about this kid, basically. So I prayed, and I really felt the Lord wanted me to bless him and pray over him. And I, and I was kind of fighting with the inspiration. And I said, God, he's an atheist. I'm not just going to randomly go up to the senior in the hall and just start blessing him and praying over him. And, um, but I really felt it very strong. So I kind of said to God, I said, all right, Lord, if you want me to pray over him, you have to set it up because I'm not just going to randomly go up to this kid in the hallway and just start blessing him and praying over him. Wouldn't you know, the next day, I'm standing in the hallway. I always greet the students as they come in the halls. This boy is dragging his foot down the hall, literally dragging his foot, and he's yelling down the hall, Father, you got to bless me. I cannot walk. I got a baseball practice today after school. I got a game. You got to bless me. So in my head, I said, wow, Lord, that was pretty quick, you know? So... Uh, right in the hallway. So I start blessing him, asking God to heal his foot. I, but I know it has nothing to do with his foot, right? It has to do with his heart, you know? And um, so I'm, I'm asking God to bless him and heal his foot. And he, he so, but it was like, again, the bell was going to ring. I didn't have much time. So he says, I said, why don't you go to the doctor? Oh, no. I, 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 I said, I don't want to, if I go to the doctor, my, they'll tell me I'll be out for the season. And, and, I, and I don't want to tell my parents because I'm bringing me the doctor. And then I'm going to be out for the season. So I just want to, you know, just if you could just pray. So I prayed. I said, well, how do you feel? He said, oh, it feels a little better. I could stand on it. He said, but can I see you again later? And I want to make sure this is 100% better. So I laughed. I said, okay, fine. But again, I know it has nothing to do with his foot, right? So then um, around lunchtime, I'm walking down the hall, and now the kid's dragging his foot again. And we're right by the chapel. Now, it's funny. The day before, I couldn't get him in the chapel, right? Now he's dragging his foot down the hallway in front of the chapel, and he says to me, Father, I can't walk. You got to bless me. You got to pray over me. I said, okay, let's go to the chapel. So now I, the kid dragging his foot into the chapel. We're, we're before the tabernacle. I said, okay, let's ask Jesus to heal you. Again, something to his foot. This has his faith, his heart. So I'm praying over him. But now I'm doubting too in a little bit in my head. I said, okay, but what happens if his foot doesn't get healed? Is he going to believe? You know, but I said, you know, I'm just going to ask for the healing of the foot. And, and let, I'm going to trust that God could heal his foot. Right. So I'm just praying. And then finally, I sit down. I have him sit down next to me before the blessed sacrament. And I said, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I said, this has nothing to do with your foot. This has to do with your heart. I remember yesterday you said to me, next time you speak to your God, you tell him if he's real, I want to know it. Well, I was praying for you last night in the rosary. And I replayed the whole scene. And I felt the Lord wanted me to pray over you. And this morning now you come and ask for prayers. And I'm praying over you. And I says, it has nothing to do with your flesh, do with your heart. He said, but Father, I got to be able to walk. You know what I mean? Well, I said, well, how do you feel? So he stands up and he's like, I don't believe it. My foot, all the pain is gone. My foot, this is a miracle. I don't believe this. Father, what, what am I supposed to do? When I'm with you, I can walk. When I'm not with you, I can't walk. And I said to him, I said, listen, sit down. I said again, nothing to do with your foot, do with your heart. I said, my favorite line in the gospel is this. Every miracle that Jesus performed, is because of people's faith, right? And remember he said, I remember the one gospel story, he says, uh, do you believe that I could heal you? And the person said, yes, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, that's my favorite line in the gospel. Lord, I believe, help me. Because we all want to believe. We all want to believe in miracles. God could do miracles. We know we could do miracles. Uh, but there's times we doubt or we think, oh, maybe, you know. And But that's why we have to say that prayer. So the kid's like, oh, Lord, I believe. Help me. Okay, long story short, uh, the kid goes uh, to the game. The next day, he gets a concussion. He's out for the season. So I go see him. And I said, how are you doing? I'm sorry. So you got a concussion. Because the whole thing was he wanted his foot heels so he could play the game. So I'm doing great. I said, you're doing great. What do you mean? He said, he said yes, Father. Even though my foot, I'm not able to play baseball, my heart is healed. So that was a great miracle. That's that is a miracle. That's phenomenal. And you're listening to The Frontline with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Rissanello in the breach with Father Justin Sinante. We're talking about authentic miracles in the church. I'm glad you took it in that direction because uh, with Adam Bly, we talked about, you know, the, the big shot miracles. You know, you talk about Padre Pio being exhumed. You talk about Francis with the stigmata. But isn't it, but isn't it true that God performs miracles every day? That yes. it's because our eyes don't see. We don't yeah. see what he does because we're too busy. Talk about the, and that's his, listen, your miracle, that's as authentic as it gets, I if you gonna, ask me. I was going to ask you along those lines. And Father, if you want to comment on this, one of the great, I think one of the miracles that happens every day 
that we don't see as dramatically as you said as a Padre Pio or the sun dancing in the sky is how great a miracle is it when a soul is converted from mm -hmm. deep, yeah. deep sin or deep, deep darkness. I can speak from personal experience, not the same person I was 15, 20 years ago. And, mm -hmm. and that departure from that person to the person I'm trying to be is a, a miracle of God. It's grace, as you mentioned earlier, Father. But those are the miracles that occur every single day that we'll never know about until we're in heaven. Yes. But we should focus on those also. Yes, of course. And the purpose of the physical healings that the Lord performed is always for the spiritual. You know, it's 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 the deeper healing that matters. I remember the you know the, the story of the gospel uh, when when Jesus walked by and said, "Your sins are forgiven you," and they're like, "Who is he to forgive sins?" But meanwhile, they want him to say, "Pick up your mat and walk." And he says, "What's easier for the Son of Man to say that your sins are forgiven, or pick up your mat and walk?" So then you have authority that I have over sin. I say, "Pick up your mat and walk." So the greater miracle we know is that spiritual miracle every day: confession, the forgiveness of our sins. Uh, uh, that's the miracle of, of God's love and mercy washing us clean. Uh, with a clean slate starting over again, you know? Um, so that's the spiritual healings. But I think the physical miracles or the supernatural things that happen is there to aid us because at times as human beings, we need signs. And, um, and God does these signs and wonders. And I think uh, we have to really ask for them, you know? And I, that's why I've been praying for that because I know the, the world is such a mess. And um, I know young people are so much... Um, pulled away from God. And I really been praying for that. I said, Lord, let them see the miraculous on a daily basis. You know, let, let them be, be healings and let them be witnesses of your glory, you know, cause that's what that will bring them. You know, um, when they encounter God that way, uh, even this kid, uh, he came to me right before he graduated. He almost said like, what more must I do to enter the kingdom of God? You know, he said, okay, I, I start, you know, I got healed. But now, how do I continue to grow in my relationship? And that's when I was able to say, you know, let's do confession. You know, let's, um, you know, keep that in your life on a regular basis. Mass, the Eucharist. So God was drawing him. He wanted to know God. He, he, in a way, made an act of faith by saying, next time you talk to your God, you tell him he's real. In a way, that was a prayer, right? So he opened his heart to God's grace by asking the question. And then more, little by little, little by little, little by little, God kept drawing him to himself. You know, I, I think of all our journeys, and I think all of us could, like, relate to miraculous, like, awakenings. Um, I want to point to the one that happened to uh, Peter, uh, James, and John, which was the transfiguration. Now, clearly, that was a miracle. I mean, they saw the glory of God, and they were clueless. I, I, whenever I pray the rosary, I think about that. I always remind myself how clueless I am because they, they didn't know what was going on. Oh, I'm going to build a tent. Christ is like, just how about we don't build a tent? You just sit there. Yeah, and don't worry about Moses and Elijah right now. Just, <laughs> just watch. sit down yeah. and, and listen. But, but the reason why he did that is they had to go back down the mountain and do something. Mm -hmm. Many times we have that miraculous event in our life, like an awakening, a, you know, a conversion or like that gentleman, a healing of the heart, but it doesn't end there. Mm -hmm. And because we're not supposed to be on the mountain in this life, we have to go back down in the valley. Talk yes. about how that is so important because I think it's human nature. All of us, we want to stay on the mountain where it's nice yes. and pretty and clean and, and, and mm. we're all at peace, but that's not where we're supposed to be. Yeah. Again, even that story of the transfiguration is so important, right? Because the, the whole purpose of that experience of those apostles on that mountain, and that's why God does give us these periods of consolation, or we call them the mountaintop experiences. It's because it has to get us through the good Fridays of life. Good Friday is going to be there. You know what I mean? They came down that mountain. The, the, the same Jesus that was glorified on that mountain was transfigured before them. They soared down on a cross. But then they got through Good Friday to get to Easter Sunday. The Father's Church talk about that, about the story of the transfiguration, that they almost had to have that experience so that they totally despair and give up. So a lot of times these grace moments we have in our lives, we call them, these periods of consolation or those times that we just kind of know, no, I know God is real. I know he was with me. I experienced his presence. Helps us get through those good Fridays of life so that we know we could get to the resurrection, you know. Um, but we can't always be on that mountaintop. We got to get, there's going to be the cross. You cannot, 
you cannot uh, run from the cross, you know. But we also know the cross, it doesn't end at the cross. There is the glory, there's a resurrection, there's heaven. So the miracles give us a taste of heaven on earth or the encounter of that heaven on earth so that we could get through the Good Fridays of life and get us to the resurrection. I think the, one of the problems, at least in the modern culture, Father, and we talk about it all the time at the front line with Joe and Joe, being joined by Father Justin Sinante, a lot of times that the, people don't want, nobody really wants a Good Friday, but as you said, but you can't get to Easter Sunday. Father Carapa used to say all the time, no cross, no crown. I mean, that's it. That's that it. is what makes the Catholic worldview different and countercultural, is that we say, we accept the Good Fridays. We don't like it. I don't like it if my ankle's broken. I don't like it if my heart is broken. I don't like it when I'm in sin. I don't, I don't like the Good Fridays, okay? But it's that hope. I know I have to go through this. I think this is one of the messages we need to get out to the culture is if you think you're escaping hardship, if you think you're escaping um, um, hard times and Good Fridays, you're not. And that's the reality of the situation. Yeah. And then the other thing is, as believers, we know that we're not alone in that suffering, that Christ took it. It's redemptive. That suffering can be redemptive because Christ redeemed it by his own cross and by his glorious resurrection. So we, we're not, you know, ca Christ carries the cross with us and he carried it for us. So we're not alone in that. And that's why we come to the cross for healing. You know, that's why when we sin, we, we kneel at the foot of the cross in the confessional uh, before the priest. Uh, to be absolved of our sins. Uh, so God doesn't leave us abandoned in our darkness or in our suffering or our sickness. Uh, he's there with us. He actually, we know he took it to himself. He He suffered for it. Uh, he died for it. And that's why you and I, even in the midst of pain and suffering and death, could be at total peace. And again, there's that miracle. It's the spiritual healing that takes place. Father, you know, I'm glad you took the conversation to the ordinary, because isn't that where the faith is found in the ordinary, how ordinary Jesus was, how ordinary his disciples were. I try to look to that um, in my own walk when I go to say a daily mass and you see the people in the back of the church, the regular people who do regular things. That's where Christ is in the ordinary and the miraculous happens in the ordinary. Talk yes. about that as a priest, when you consecrate the host, that is a miracle. Mm -hmm. It is miraculous. And it's as real as my voice is right now. Could you talk about that? Because that's where we have to meet our Lord. That's what yeah. makes us Catholic. Exactly. It's his real presence. You know, I think of a story one time, Sister Breach McKenna, uh, she has the kind of the charismatic gifts of healing and whatnot. And she told a story of a, of a woman who came to her with a with a bleeding disorder, very rare bleeding uh, disorder, and there was something doctors could do was it was terminal, and basically um, she came to sister for healing, and sister was praying with her and said, "Wait a minute, when was the last time you went to mass and received the Eucharist?" Oh, I've been away for like 20 years or so. Well, she said, "Well, I could pray for your healing, but Jesus is the healer, you know," and she said, "You know." What I would suggest is that you go to confession because it's been a while. You know, you want to receive communion worthily. So you go to confession and then Sunday go to mass. And when you receive communion at the moment of communion, ask one drop of Jesus' precious blood. Sorry about that. Um, technical difficulties. <laughs> uh, but ask one drop of Jesus' precious blood to purify your blood. So she went to confession after many years, went restored herself to God's grace in the sacrament. When she went for communion, at that moment, she just asked that Jesus' body and blood that she received in the Eucharist, truly present, will now purify her own blood, and she was miraculously cured. So that illness brought her to the truth of the gospel. Because one day that woman's going to die again. You know what I mean? She'll maybe some other illness. Like Lazarus, after he was risen from the dead, we know he was going to die again but he's going to live forever, right? That's the goal, right? So even if we die, Jesus says, you know, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you remain in me and I in you, and I will raise you up on the last day. Right? Whoever eats his flesh and drinks his blood uh, will live forever. So that's the goal. I mean, I had that miracle on, on Divine Mercy Sunday during COVID uh, two years ago. Women had less than 2% chance of survival. Uh, they wouldn't let me in the hospital. So I circled with the Blessed Sacrament. She was in a coma for three weeks, uh, on a on a vent. They were going to put on a trach the next day and gave it less than 2% chance of survival. 
So I drove around with the Blessed Sacrament. She came out of the, at three o'clock, I found out she came out of the coma. Next day, her numbers were doing better. They took her out of ICU two days later. A week later, she went to rehab. A month later, she came home. The doctor said it was a miracle. Well, what was the miracle? It was a Eucharist. You know, I, I couldn't even get in the building. I couldn't give her Holy Communion, but just with the monstrance driving around the hospital, blessing, you know, asking God to bless her. And that was a that was not just a miracle for her, because we had a lack of faith during the time of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, when churches should have been opened and we should have had 40-hour devotions and more masses and more communions and more sacraments, what happened? We closed churches. We stopped the masses. We stopped the sacraments. Uh, I, and I said, we're worried about a virus? The worst thing is to be worried about losing your soul, you know, to, to die without the sacraments, without the Eucharist. Um, so that miracle, I, you know, it was the faith of the people of his family that prayed and her, and the Lord gave her that grace with his real presence and the monstrance. Uh, but I think that was a message for all of us. Uh, this woman had less than 2% chances of survival, and she was healed by the Eucharist. I said, and, and it, Father, you know. 30 seconds, final thoughts. We are, we're coming to the end. Yeah, so miracles happen every day. We just got to ask for them. The greatest is the spiritual. The sacraments uh, give us God's grace and healing. And just encourage the listeners to, to avail themselves of those more and more. Confession of the Eucharist, every, and those sacraments are the two greatest miracles, the forgiveness of our sins, and we get to receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. Awesome. Father Justin Sinati, thank you as always so much for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe, talking about miracles, talking about prayer, talking about grace. Um, great conversation. We really appreciate it. And thank you, brothers and sisters, for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, bringing the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York metropolitan area at 1350 on your AM dial. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. And of course, uh, like Joe and I on uh, Facebook and YouTube until they shut us down, of course. But we're also on Gab and Parlor and Twitch and all across social media. So help us out in any way you can. And remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation. And that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon. 